Our family of listeners is growing every week. Thanks for listening live and through all our digital broadcasting channels. Spread the word to your friends to join our weekly conversation. It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. This is Christian Questions, our website, ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Marcus Aurelius once said, The best revenge is to be unlike him who performed the injury. Welcome to Christian Questions. I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. You might say that ours is a long-term approach as we've been broadcasting the good news of the gospel for over 18 years. And I'm Jonathan, and that long-term different perspective has its basis in three things— Godly principles, family values, and honest dialogue. Always done in a politically free zone. Rick, today is our 971st broadcast, and we've talked the gospel with listeners on several talk radio stations throughout the eastern and central United States for many years. And you're right, Jonathan, and we figured it's time to bring the good news to the whole world by way of podcasting, so here we are. We thank you for joining us today. This is a call-in format. We are caller-friendly, so let's get started. And Jonathan, what's the subject matter for today's podcast? Well, Rick, our question is, how sweet is revenge? And our theme text is found in Romans chapter 12, verse 17. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. So it's about revenge. The desire for it can be a powerful and even overwhelming emotion. Sadly, thinking about revenge can be a fun, motivating, and bonding experience as it occupies our minds with creative and yet often diabolical means with which to carry out our purpose. It's amazing how the development of such a negative action can spur such positive feelings. So so wait, if all of these positive feelings come from planning revenge, then can we rightfully label revenge as wrong? Absolutely. Oh, okay, thanks for that. (laughs) Just because something makes you feel good or empowered or focused doesn't mean that you're becoming a better person because of those things. Remember, Satan felt good and was empowered and was focused when he rebelled against God. And we all know how that'll turn out. Yeah, his destruction. Absolutely. Uh, Can revenge ever be good? No. Okay. (laughs) Folks, we're done. Jonathan's answered all the questions. How do we recognize, manage, and direct our feelings of revenge? That's really where we want to go uh, with this subject today. And, And Jonathan, it's always our objective with each subject we choose to approach it in a biblical and very relevant and practical way. What we try and do is search out the original context of the scriptures we cite, try to find their true meaning, and combine those scriptures with the pressing issues of our day uh, to give you something to really, really think about. So it really is all about revenge. How sweet is revenge? And Rick, the Bible is full of warnings against being vengeful, isn't it? It is. Um, It's... it tells us again and again and again to be watching out for those things. And because of that, we have to be aware of it. Because if the scriptures bring it up for us, then we have got to comply with what we're, we're hearing and what we're seeing. So Proverbs 24, 28, and 29 is a really good example of that. 
Do not be a witness against your neighbor without cause. And do not deceive with your lips. Do not say, Thus I shall do to him as he has done to me. I will render to the man according to his work. So that is describing the process of revenge. And it's basically saying, hey, don't do this. Don't do that. Don't do this. Don't go down this road. So to, to get us started, because there's a lot to talk about when we talk about revenge, and, and I would venture to say, Jonathan, you've probably had the experience of, of feeling like you want to get back at somebody maybe once or twice. Oh, oh definitely. Especially in my past before I found the Lord. And before he called me, and yeah, it was miserable, Rick. Okay, <laughs> all right. Absolutely miserable. All right, okay. So you never know. You might want to get back at me. Who knows? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. But all I know is this is a very real human problem, and we all have to deal with those thoughts. Sometimes those thoughts take root, and, 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 and we allow them to grow, and sometimes we just fight them entering and try to get them out. But nevertheless, they come to us one way or the other. So let's get started with a, a quick soundbite from The Psychology of Revenge. This is Vanessa Van Edwards, uh, and giving us just a basic introduction into how revenge works. My name is Vanessa Van Edwards, and I'm lead investigator at the Science of People, a human behavior research lab. Our mission is to figure out the hidden forces that drive our behavior. And today we're talking about the dark, secretive, mysterious science and psychology of revenge. As much as we hate to admit it, revenge is one of those intense feelings that comes up for every single human being. Okay, so she made that blanket statement, hate to admit it, but everybody has issues with revenge. And it's intense, she said. Well, and you know, and that's the thing. Dealing with revenge is difficult because revenge by its very nature is driven by a level of intensity that is really hard to fight with. And so we've really got to be prepared to understand how that works or in, in, in this case, how we can get it to stop working or to, to change the focus or whatever it is that we can, we can try to do. So, so Jonathan, let's just get started by, by putting a, just a few quick definitions on the table. First, the definition of vengeance, then revenge, because they're very, very, very similar. And then uh, the definition of justice. Well, vengeance is punishment and retribution. And revenge is to avenge, usually by retaliating in kind or degree, to inflict injury in return for an insult. Okay, go ahead. The definition of justice is the maintenance or admonition of what is just, especially by the impartial adjustment of conflicting claims or the assignment of merited rewards or punishments. Okay, so, so to go back over, over those things, vengeance and revenge are punishment and retribution, usually by retaliation in kind or degree. So it's, yes. it, it's a... It's a it's a reaction. That's what revenge is. There is an action, and revenge is a reaction. It's built on whatever the action was, and it's going to say, oh, yeah, well, I can do the same thing to you or even worse. Justice, however, is a whole different kind of a ball game, and it's something that we have to really begin to understand to be able to appreciate because bottom line, and I'm going to give the answer here, we need to seek justice in matters not vengeance in matters. Big difference between the two. Big difference. So we've got to compare those two things. And, and Jonathan, um, we're going to be referring back to a podcast we did, what, just a few weeks ago? 
Yeah, May 8th. Yep. And it was, uh, will God's vengeance squash us like bugs? <laughs> <laughs> and, and I just want to take a moment and talk about that podcast because we, we separated talking about God's vengeance or potentially, quote, revenge, unquote, and I'm putting that in little air quotes. You can see air quotes, right? You see them? Everyone can see that. Yeah, I'm sure yeah. they can. <laughs> <laughs> Wise guy. So, because God has vengeance. I mean, that's what the scriptures say. You know, God, there, it says God is a vengeful, vengeful God, and he is. But his vengeance is entirely different than our revenge. So we, we want to just refer back to that and give ourselves something to compare to. So we had several God's vengeance lessons from that particular podcast, podcast a couple of weeks ago. Jonathan, what was the first one? Well, Rick, it's God's vengeance is designed to fulfill the eternal purpose of reconciliation. And Rick, reconciliation basically means to bring us back um, to the point where that re- lost relationship that human, the human family had with God. Okay, so that's the purpose of God's vengeance, is to bring humanity to reconciliation. The purpose of my vengeance is to hurt somebody. Okay, so you, you got to yeah, you got to <laughs> see the incredible difference between those two things. Great example of God's vengeance in action. Zephaniah chapter three, verses eight and nine, and we and we went over this scripture in some detail a couple of weeks ago. Therefore, wait for me, declares the Lord, for the day when I rise up as a witness. Indeed, my decision is to gather nations, to assemble kingdoms, to pour out on them my indignation all my burning anger, for all the earth will be devoured by the fire of my zeal. See, now you look at that, and if you read that scripture and you stop it right there, you're saying, man, God's vengeance is severe. I yeah. mean, burning anger, pouring it all out, the earth is going to be devoured by fire. And you think, boy, and how can you say there's something good there? And the answer is, well, you have to finish reading the scripture. Because that's symbolism for God's anger being uh, affected upon the earth. And it will be. There's no question about it. But what's the result of God's anger? Let's read verse 9 from Zephaniah chapter 3. For then I will give to the people purified lips. Then all of them may call on the name of the Lord to serve him shoulder to shoulder. So you see... It cannot possibly be that God burned up the earth because the people are being given purified lips that they can serve God shoulder to shoulder. And that's for eternity, Rick. <laughs> right. So God's vengeance is in place to bring goodness. So, folks, if you want to get revenge, you got to ask yourself, is my revenge in place to bring goodness? If not, and I know it's not because that's by definition, that's not the way it works, then I shouldn't be going down that road. And Rick, isn't God's vengeance solely towards sin? Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. It not is. to individuals uh, and, and the, the whole human family. It's how sin corrupted the way humanity was supposed to live. Yeah, now— And he needs to teach a lesson right. so that we get it for eternity. Right. Now, individuals are on the receiving end of that vengeance, but it's for yes. the purpose— of bringing them back to God in a righteous, just, loving, kind, and merciful way. All right, so yes. having said that, Jonathan, each segment of today's podcast, we're going to be bringing in an example of somebody who sought 
vengeance one way or another. Now, this first example is actually kind of cool <laughs> because this is a, a situation of a young man who um, had something happen to him and he didn't do anything mean or nasty or outside of the law. But, well, let me just have you listen. This is from um, a YouTube video, The Greatest Acts of Revenge on People Ever, from therichest.com. So this young man's name is Dave Carroll. Dave Carroll. You may recognize Dave Carroll as the guitar player from the band Sons of Maxwell. While on a trip to Nebraska, baggage handlers broke his guitar, which he obviously needed to play and write music. Carroll then filed a complaint and tried to get some sort of compensation for his broken instrument. United Airlines gave him the runaround and refused to do anything about it. Then Carroll released three songs about how the airline breaks guitars and the public listened. United stock went down about 10% after the release of the sweet-sounding Vengeance. So that's kind of an interesting one. I have mixed feelings about that. Because, <laughs> you know, he had a bad experience. They didn't fix it. You know, they didn't They didn't step up. So he said, okay, you know, you didn't step up. I'll write a song, a few songs about you, see what happens. And they ended up fixing it. Well, Rick, that's a riot. <laughs> hey, we're always getting great feedback during the week at ChristianQuestions.com. Keep the great questions and comments coming. You can also call in and talk to us live Monday nights from 8 to 9.30 Eastern, and that's at 866-985-4255. All right, so, so, so Jonathan, uh, as we set that up for communicating with, uh, with our listeners, there's four categories that we want to break revenge into for today's conversation, all right? So there's the revenge aspect of each category, and then there's the justice aspect of each category. And, and so... Each segment from here on out, we're going to pick one of these categories and demonstrate it the wrong way and then the right way. So what's the first one? Revenge is about me. Exactly. It always is about me. Justice is about that which is right. Big difference. Big difference. Yeah. It really yeah, is. Yeah. Okay. What's the second one? Revenge is determined by emotion mixed with circumstances. And whose emotion? Mine, right. me. It's revenge <laughs> is about me, okay? Justice, however, is determined by events in conjunction with the law. And Good point. the idea is it's not about a person, it's about principle. See, revenge doesn't operate based on principle. We need to understand this. And again, each of these, each of these, um, Divisions of revenge we're going to be touching on in each uh, segment to come. The third uh, category of revenge is what? Revenge is personally and passionately orchestrated and served. Okay. Personally and passionately orchestrated and served. And oftentimes we find that revenge is planned out and thought out and worked out and, 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 and has a lot of effort that goes into it. Justice is orchestrated and served through legal channels. It's not about personality. It's not about passion. It's about legality, the orchestration of legality to come up with the correct, with the right answer. And the fourth category uh, of revenge for today is what? Revenge is about punishing those who hurt your family. Okay, who hurt your family or the family of somebody that you know. The, the point is, Revenge has that personal aspect. You may not have been the one hurt, but you may know someone, and you want to get in on getting back at that person. So when we look at it, justice 
is about lawfully trying and convicting the guilty. It's, it's simple. Try and convict those who are guilty. And if someone's not guilty, you try them and you find out they're not guilty if you are following with justice. And, 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 and the results are what the results are. But with the revenge thing here, Jonathan, it's about me. It's about my emotions. It's about my personally and passionately orchestrating it. And it's about people, you know, my family who got hurt. It's always about just me. So that brings us to the, at the end of each segment here uh, today, we're going to have a revenge refocusing lesson. And this revenge refocusing lesson is really simple. As with any human emotions, we must check our desire for revenge against our desire for that which is right. So with that lesson, Jonathan, I think the point is really simple. Revenge is almost never founded in that which is right. Good point. It's founded in that which is convenient, that which is passionate, that which uh, we can't get out of our minds, uh, that which you know makes us see red and see rage and all of those things. But it is almost, almost never, ever, ever founded in that which is right. So we've got to understand this, and we've got to put this all in the right perspective so that we can truly understand how to manage revenge. Well, Rick, with all that being said, what about this question? Can mob mentality factor into a desire for revenge? And what might be the outcome? CQ 3D. Three viewpoints. Christian, secular, and neutral. So, so the question about mob mentality is important. Can, can, if it factors into, into revenge, what's the outcome? You know, we address this very personal issue of revenge. It's so important that we understand how our connections to those around us can be for good or they can be for ill. It is so important that we keep our heads clear and our hearts pure. Can mob mentality factor into a desire for revenge? And what might be the outcome? And you know, like it or not, Jonathan, mob mentality can play a pretty big part in, in our lives. And uh, it's, it, it's almost, almost never, ever, ever a good thing. And in the Bible, Rick, there are many examples of that that we can look at and say, wow, look what mob mentality did. Right. What destruction and evil uh, came from it. Right. So we're going to go now to our next example of revenge from the greatest acts of revenge on people ever from the richest.com. This is Aaron Burr. This is, uh, this is a little bit of more uh, older American history, lived at the time of Alexander Hamilton. And this is a disturbing story to hear uh, his sense of needing revenge. Listen to this. Aaron Burr. Aaron Burr and Alexander Hamilton had a love-hate sort of friendship. When Burr ran for president in 1800, Hamilton endorsed his rival, Thomas Jefferson, costing Burr the presidency despite the fact that he got to serve as vice president. Burr challenged Hamilton to a duel and shot his political rival, resulting in a fatal wound in 1804, thus ruining Burr's political career. It was a work of revenge that cost him everything he had worked for. You know, we, we look at the political wranglings that go on today, and, you know, you'd think... <laughs> You think about this and say, really? <laughs> you know, we, we see the, the intensity of all of that, but, but I mean, a, a duel? Because you supported the other guy? 
and you end up you end that's up that's crazy it is it's nuts <laughs> and this is this is this is legitimate american history with american politicians no less so and you, they called that justice i suppose i don't know what they, <laughs> i don't know what to call it but it's just sad it's just so yeah. sad that you are so bent out of shape because of that feeling of being betrayed that you have to take matters into your own hand like that I just, I just. But don't. look, look what happened to his life. Everything fell apart yeah. when he followed through with the emotion and the destructive destruction of his life. It, it, it changed his whole life right. because of that that one moment. Right. He lost everything. He lost all of it. All of the things he aspired to were now gone as a result. So you know, we were talking about mob mentality factor, revenge. Uh, you know, and and that first um, revenge point that we wanted to touch on uh, again is what. Revenge is determined by emotions mixed with circumstances. All right, my emotions mixed with circumstances. So we're going to look at a mob mentality example. And we're going to go to Acts 23, 6 to 14. Now, the context of this is the Jewish leaders were all trying to desperately stifle the Apostle Paul's preaching. Now, if you remember, he was one of the Jewish leaders trying to stifle Christianity. He was converted. This made them even madder at Christianity, and especially at Paul. So they wanted to shut him up and shut him down right here, right now. So they're looking to try and trap him. The Apostle Paul, though, had other ideas. So this is, this is Paul before several Jewish leaders uh, and being, being uh, questioned very, very severely. Acts ch- uh, chapter 23, 6 to, uh, let's do 6 and 7 to start with. But perceiving that one group were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, Paul began crying out in the council, Brethren, I am a Pharisee, a son of a Pharisee. I am on trial for the hope and resurrection of the dead. As he said this, there occurred a dissension between the Pharisees and Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. So so the Apostle Paul is is very, very sly here. They're, They're after him. And he was once a Pharisee, and he knew very well that the Pharisees and Sadducees had dramatic differences, especially in relation to the doctrine of resurrection. So he said, look, I'm on trial for the resurrection of the dead. And so the Pharisees are are thinking, well, maybe we need to support him a little bit here. And the Sadducees are saying, well, you you can't be supporting him. So they start arguing amongst themselves. And you can see that, Jonathan, there's not a lot of self-control here. What it is is a lot of emotion and a lot of people, and it's, it's all about this, this high level of, of response and reaction that is not being well-controlled. So verse, And Rick, one of the, one of the great ways to remember uh, which group doesn't believe in the resurrection, <laughs> yeah. the Sadducees are sad, you see, because they don't believe in the resurrection. Right, right. Very good. Okay. So now, verses 10 and 11, going through these, we're skipping a few verses here and there. What happens next? And as a great dissension was developing, the commander was afraid Paul would be torn to pieces by them and orders the troops to go down and take him away from them by force and bring him into the barracks. So now you think about it. These are grown men. These are supposed to be the doctors and, and, and the, 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 the lawyers of the law of, of the, the Jewish Old Testament. They're supposed to be mature and leadership-based. And here they are. They're getting so out of hand that— they're the people running the situation look at it and say, Paul's going to get hurt. We can't allow that to happen. It's, that, that can't happen in this environment. So they go and they pull him out, and they, and they bring him in away from all of the commotion. 
So let's go to verses 12 and 12 to 14. When it was day, the Jews formed a conspiracy and bound themselves under an oath, saying that they would neither eat nor drink until they had killed Paul. There were more than 40 who formed this plot. They came to the chief priests and the elders and said, We have bound ourselves under a solemn oath to taste nothing until we have killed Paul. So, again, mob mentality. This shows you the mob mentality in both phases. In the first phase, there's the yelling and the screaming and the, and the pointing of fingers, I can imagine, and all of those things. And then Paul gets them arguing amongst themselves, and the temperature rises even higher and higher to the point where Paul's pulled out of there because of the, the potential danger he's in, he's in. And now afterwards, the day after, they all, they all come back in the morning and say, wait a minute, what happened? He got away. We were supposed to be getting him, and so they decided, okay, we have to get him right here, right now. So they make this oath that they will not eat until the Apostle Paul is dead. That's pretty serious stuff. These are grown men. These are doctors of the Jewish law. These are, these are, these are, these are people of, of God's chosen people. Look at this. This is what revenge does to you. It's ugly. It is. So, you know, you've got this little little equation here. Being bested by your opponent, plus others feeling the same humiliation, plus a feeling of immediacy, equals a mob of sore losers who will consciously step far beyond justice to exact revenge. They had no right, no ability to go kill the Apostle Paul. They had nothing legal— Go ahead. You're, you're right, Rick. So the question is, did they all starve to death? <laughs> because God protected Paul for years. Yeah, that's right. They, they never did get the revenge. No, no, they didn't. And, and, and see, that's the interesting thing, is revenge brings us to say things and to do things that are just simply outrageous. And because we say them and because we do them, we get into this position where we feel like, well, we've got to defend what we've said and what we've already done. You start going down that road, and you continue to go down that road, and, and it's, it's really a very, very, very bad ending after all of that. So let, let's, go to, let's go back to um, the psychology of revenge with Vanessa Van Edwards. And she, in, this, in this soundbite, it's interesting because she's going to go over the brain's response to the emotion of revenge. Have you ever been wronged and wished you could punish the perpetrator? This desire is wired within us. A group of Swiss researchers wanted to know what happens in the brain when someone reaps revenge. They scanned the brains of people who had just been wronged during a game in the lab. The researchers then gave the wronged participant a chance to punish the other person. And for a full minute, as the victims contemplated revenge, their activity was recorded in their brain. Researchers noticed a rush of neural activity in the caudate nucleus. This is the part of the brain known to process rewards. In other words, the study found that revenge in the moment is quite rewarding. See, that's an interesting thing. Within the human brain, revenge feels very rewarding, especially at the beginning stages when, oh, I'm going to get him back or her back, or this is what we're going to do. And there's that, there's that, 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 uh, th those elements that, that kick up the emotion and kick up the feelings to make it even stronger and even, and even better. 
And Rick, I wonder what our listeners think. We'd love to talk to you right now. We're live. Call us at 866-985-FOR-ALL. That's 866-985-4255. Or leave us a comment at ChristianQuestions.com. That's right. You can leave us a comment. If you're uh, listening through the uh, Mixler setup, you can uh, get in on the chat board. Uh, we love hearing from you. And folks, listen, always remember uh, Seeker Rewind. It's a it's a great service that we offer. It's a free service in relation to our, um, our, our broadcast that comes out every week. And uh, it's something that you can use as a tool to help you get back to the subject and... Uh, get get yourself in order. So I understand that we have a chat comment that we need to hear, and uh, Trish is going to bring that to us. Okay, um, this scripture was sent in by the chat board. It is, um, oh man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. That's Micah 6, 8. And also this scripture um, says, this comment on the meaning of vengeance in Romans 12, 9, and this is a quote, the judgments of God are holy and right and free from any element of self-gratification or vindictiveness. Okay, and we're actually going to be going over, thanks Trish, we're going to be going over those, uh, those verses later on in the podcast. So a good start on that. Uh, just, again, putting it against the backdrop of God's uh, judgment and God's vengeance. Jonathan, there's a great quote from Edwin Hubble Chapin, Ch- Chapin. Never does the human soul appear so strong as when it foregoes revenge and dares to forgive an injury. There you go. There you go. That's, the, that's when your, your very being has its greatest, greatest strength. So let's go back again to a God's vengeance lesson to compare that mob mentality we were just talking about. God's vengeance, by definition, is purposeful and not reactionary. Mob mentality is reactionary and not purposeful. Exactly, exactly. the opposite, okay? <laughs> now, justice— on the other side of that revenge being determined by emotions and circumstances. Justice is determined by events in conjunction with the law. So Paul, in his epistle to the Roman Christians, had just written about casting off Israel. We're going to drop in on Romans chapter 11, starting with verse 28, and we're going to go through this this section of Romans uh, right in through verse uh, chapter 12, as a matter of fact. But in this epistle, he had written about the casting off of Israel, uh, which opened wide the call of the gospel to the Romans and to everybody else. Here, the justice and mercy of God shine out. And it's interesting, this lays the groundwork for acting in accordance with justice and mercy for us. Romans 11, let's do verses 28 through 31 to get started. From the standpoint of the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But from the standpoint of God's choice, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. For just as you once were disobedient to God, but now have been shown mercy because of their disobedience, so also now have been disobedient that because of the mercy shown to you, they also may now be shown mercy. So the apostle is saying, okay, you have an opportunity because somebody else messed up. You've got to look at that as, as a gracious, gracious opportunity, not something you earned. There's no mob here. There's just a group of undeserving, like us, being privileged to bless another group who is also undeserving. 
like the Jews who had cast off Jesus, okay? So in both ways, there's undeservedness and there's God's justice and mercy coming into play to lift us up higher than we, uh, we can certainly do on our own. And, and so the apostle continues with those thoughts in verses 33 to 36 of Romans 11. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who became his counselor or who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. See, now, Jonathan, if you take those verses and you see the emotion that the apostle is bringing up, oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. I mean, he is above us and beyond us, and his mercy upon us is so awesome and amazing. There's no room for vengeful thoughts. Because there isn't. everything is being given to us. Everything we're, un- we're undeserving. Yeah. We, we don't deserve it. That's what grace is. Giving giving us blessing without expecting, you know, anything. And God is so gracious to give us hope and direction. Right. We don't have any room for that mob mentality if we say we've been called and given this opportunity just because it's something magnificent, way beyond anything that we could even imagine. So, I mean, how do we daily absorb and process the defeats of life? There's a couple of ways we can do it. Do we dive into a human reaction, which can often bring us to revenge, or do we step back and enjoy a just and godly panoramic view of what just happened? And if we take the principles of Romans chapter 11 that tell us, hey, you're given this opportunity not because you deserve it, but because someone else messed up and I have seen fit to allow you to have it. That's a panoramic view of God's mercy. And however badly we might feel about somebody or something that happened in life, we ought to bask in the glory of the goodness of an opportunity that's bigger than we are. And I hope I choose that, Rick, but (laughs) sometimes the flesh gets the best of us and our reaction and our emotion take over. You're right. And it's sad. It's sad, but it does. And, and, and it's sad, and it's tragic. And yeah. You, and you're right. It does. And that's why we have to be on our guard. And that's why our solution, if you will, for revenge is Romans 11, the end of the chapter, and going through Romans 12. We're going through this one context throughout the whole podcast to put all of this in order because that will help us understand the process because at the end of those verses, Paul specifically deals with revenge, and this is how he gets there. So we got to take the steps to get there. So once we're there to have to deal with it, we already know what to do. Okay. Excellent. So revenge refocusing lesson for this segment is really simple. We all experience loss of privilege or position in our lives. That often benefits another. Let us see such a loss as a stepping stone toward our ultimate spiritual destination and not as a reason to get revenge on somebody. So change is good. Change is good, yeah. Change from the, <laughs> that revengeful, messy thinking process to a different process that can be lifting us up and bringing us to so much a better place in our lives so that we can really focus on the important things of our Christianity. So, Rick, 
on the personal side. How do we handle a more personal and private feeling of revenge stemming from being offended? Now let's bring the better questions. That's how we get the better answers. Jonathan, that's such a good question. The personal and private feelings of revenge. How do, how do we oh, oh, avoid the offense that we feel? No matter what the packaging, revenge is always the same basic thing. It's me showing you that you cannot get away with us and so and without suffering serious consequences of my choosing. They're, they say that there is no I in team. Well, I say that there is an I in revenge. And because well, Rick, Rick, you must spell revenge different <laughs> from me because I don't see an I in revenge. <laughs> there, revenge is built around I. It really, truly is. There's no way to, to, to avoid it. That's what it is. And we have to understand it that way, no matter how good it might make us feel in the moment. Okay, And that's the thing. It can make us feel good to work on it and to plan it and all of those things. It does. It, the, the physiology tells us that. Okay, so with that in mind, let's go to another individual who committed, uh, now we're talking some serious acts of revenge in this. Uh, this individual, uh, I don't know if you've heard of the movie The Count of Monte Cristo? Yes, I have. Okay, it's a, it's a great movie because there's great lessons in it. And it, it is said, and I'm repeating something that's in the soundbite, that, that this individual's personal experiences were the, were the uh, inspiration for that movie. And uh, in that movie, there's great lessons learning that revenge doesn't work. But listen to what happened to the person on whom the movie was based. Pierre Picou. A 19th century French shoemaker by the name of Pierre Picou is believed to be the inspiration for Alexandre Dumas's novel, The Count of Monte Cristo. Pierre became engaged to a wealthy woman, and his friends Lupin, Solari, and Chaubert apparently got jealous, so they accused him of being an English spy. Pierre was locked up for seven years, and then was given a lot of money by a fellow inmate named Father Tori. Once out, over the course of ten years, Pierre fatally poisoned Solari, killed Chaubert, and then extracted his harshest revenge on Lupin, who married Pierre's former fiance. He tricked Lupin's daughter into marrying a criminal and then had him arrested, and then burned down Lupin's restaurant before stabbing him to death. So, Jonathan, you know, you think about the things that this man did. You know, I, I mean, he sets people up, he burns down the restaurant, he stabs the guy to death, he poisons this, he does that. And, and you think, okay, all right, they did you wrong. Yeah. But, folks... Is that really where we want to go with how we're feeling? Jonathan, I understand we have a call. I believe we have Julius from Connecticut on the line. Good evening, Julius, and welcome to Christian Questions. Good evening. Good to hear from you, sir. Rick and Jonathan, good evening to you. Thank you. You know, I've been away uh, so long from you. Uh, remember when you uh, uh, were absent from school? Then you had to bring a note from your parents. That's what I feel like right now. Don't worry. You don't, we're not looking for a note. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, there are so many examples. I appreciate the quotes you give, the examples you quote. Uh, you quote. Uh, I have uh, three examples to share with you, uh, which you probably touch upon or maybe you have already. Uh, the uh, beautiful example. You know, you know how much damage Saul of Tarsus did in uh, in the Book of Acts. Yes, plenty. How he murdered Christians. Remember? Yes, absolutely. And yet, 
and that uh, Ananias says, wait a minute, Lord, who are you sending me here? <laughs> well, what are you doing? You know, remember Ananias, he objected, right. you know, but uh, no, no, the Lord God, uh, the Lord Jesus has said, you do as, uh, as I say, there could have been revenge there, but uh, you know, there, there was none. Uh, number two, uh, one of the most beautiful ones is also in the book of Acts. Stephen, remember at the end of chapter seven, when he was, they were stoning him to death. Yes. Beautiful Stephen. No revenge. He says, lay this sin not to their charge. Right. Isn't that, what, what a wonderful uh, uh, attitude, what disposition, what mellow, uh, beautiful spiritual heart. And then lastly, but not the least, uh, in John the Gospel, chapter 1, where Nathaniel, remember, he insulted the Lord Jesus. He said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Yep, that's right. Remember that? When they, they introduced the Lord Jesus, uh, I think it was uh, Andrew and uh, John or Peter, or Simon, they introduced him to uh, Nathaniel, said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Insulting the Lord Jesus. Now, the Lord Jesus could have, uh, you know, he could have uh, rebutted Nathaniel. Instead, no, he says, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no guile. Right. What, what, a, what a beautiful uh, response. So some of those uh, the, the examples, among others. Uh, God bless. Thank you. Julius, thanks so much for the call and the examples. Good thinking, and uh, God bless you. Thank you. Thank so, you. Good night. So, Jonathan, good, uh, good, good thoughts there, and we're going to be touching on uh, actually a couple of those things as we go forward. Um, so let's get on to that second point. Uh, of revenge is about me. We're going to go to Luke. This is a good me example of revenge. This is a really good example. Luke 9, 51 to 56. And let's do 51 and 52 to start. When the days were approaching for his ascension, he was determined to go to Jerusalem, and he sent messengers on ahead of him, and they went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make arrangements for him. Okay, so the, he's getting ready to for crucifixion and so forth. On his way to Jerusalem, they're going to go through the village, a Samaritan village. The Samaritans don't like the Jews so much. And so Jesus takes great care to be respectful to the Samaritans because he knows that they're in, in a disagreement. So he sends notice ahead that, hey, we're looking for lodging here for tonight. You know, we're on our way to Jerusalem. So he's being very kind, very considerate, and very thoughtful. What happens? Verse 53. But they did not receive him because he was traveling toward Jerusalem. So now, why would they not receive him? I mean, what? look, so he's passing through. What's the problem? Well, let's take a look. Just Adam Clark's commentary uh, on, on these verses gives us a little bit of an insight into the difficulties between the Samaritans uh, in their viewpoint of the Jewish people. They saw he was going up to Jerusalem to keep the feast. It was the Feast of Tabernacles, and knowing him thereby to be a Jew... They would afford nothing for his entertainment, for in religious matters, the Samaritans and Jews had no dealings. The Samaritans were a kind of mongrel heathens. They feared Jehovah and served other gods. They apostatized from the true religion and persecuted those who were attached to it. Okay, so you can see that they were way off. They, they, they still, they worshiped God, Jehovah God, but... Everything else was really, really way off, and they just resented the, the Jews. They just resented them. So they said they didn't receive him. So what is the response of the disciples? Luke 9, verse 54. When his disciples John and James saw this, they said, 
Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? Oh, oh wait, now, now hold on. Who's who's looking for revenge here? <laughs> Talk about vengeance, huh? Yeah, I know. And, and But who is it? It's James and John looking for revenge. I mean, come on. What happened here? You know, obviously it's a reference back to, uh, to Elijah. And uh, it, these are Jesus' own followers with Jesus looking for revenge. Oh, yeah? You won't put us up for the night? Lord, should we call down fire on them and show them who's boss? And, you know, and they pursue it in such a way to say, okay, you know, God in heaven can destroy him, and he'll show them what they did to us. You know, so they're, they're trying to, to, to seat their revengeance as the hand of God. True emotion. It is. It's pure emotion, and it's completely wrong. What does Jesus say? But he turned and rebuked them and said, you do not know what kind of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went on to another village. So Jesus puts it right in place, very very succinctly, very similar to what Julius said earlier about Jesus' attitude. Jesus' response is plain and powerful. Think in a godly manner, not like children of Satan. You know, I didn't come to destroy men's lives. That's Satan's work. I came to save men's lives. That's my work. And you want to destroy men's lives? That's Satan's work? What's wrong with you? So... Take the emotion out, because it does not belong there. Uh, Jonathan, we have, uh, again, a couple of more questions, a couple of questions. So, Trish, what are those questions? All right. uh, This is from the chat. Um, The first one is, is reacting and lashing out at someone because of irritation at something they have done a form of revenge? Okay, on behalf of that person. That's the first one. Okay. And then the second one is, this scripture says, thou shalt not take the Lord's name in vain. Okay. Is saying you're a Christian or godly, but taking revenge on others, doing uh, taking the Lord's name in vain? Okay. All right. Those are, those are good questions. And bring, can I have that paper so I can remember to address them? We're not going to be able to do them both right here, right now. But uh, good questions, and we, th- folks, we thank you for your questions because it's important to uh, put all this stuff uh, in-, in order. So lashing out at someone because of irritation at something they've done, is that a form of revenge? Sure. You know, y- they- because you're getting back at them. You did this, so I'm going to yell at you. And if it's thoughtless reaction, then I think it does fall in that category of, of a level of revenge, and it's never, ever good. Um Let's go to another soundbite, Jonathan. Then we got a great quote that will really help to answer this question, I think, this quote. But uh, back to the psychology of revenge with Vanessa Van Edwards. And remember, in the last soundbite, she talked about the effect of revenge on the brain, the, the, the stimulus, the, the positive stimulus. Well, let's what, see what happens now after that positive stimulus. But what about after the fact? Does revenge keep rewarding? One might think that exacting revenge is a form of emotional release, that it's a way to gain closure after a wrong. But in fact, revenge has the opposite effect. Even though the first few moments feel rewarding, psychological scientists have found that instead of quenching hostility, revenge prolongs the unpleasantness of the original offense. And instead of delivering justice, it often creates only a cycle of retaliation. Philosopher Francis Bacon said, A man that studieth revenge keeps his own wounds green, which otherwise would heal. So that's surprising because the initial responses of revenge inside the mind are really positive. They make you feel good. But the act of revenge has the opposite effect. 
Amazing. And you know what? You can't admit it's having the opposite effect because you've just done something that deep down you know you shouldn't have done. And and do you feel better? Oh, yeah, I feel better. No, you don't. You just Guilty. can't. Right, right. <laughs> you just can't admit that you don't feel better because the, 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 the human mind knows deep down there's, there's something there that it says, no, you're in the, going down the, the wrong pathway. Uh, great quote here about you know, lashing out at someone else and so forth and revenge from Austin O'Malley. Revenge is often like biting a dog because the dog bit you. All right, there you go. Go bite your dog if the dog bites you and just see how, how, how well that does for you. I mean, <laughs> I mean, really, it's a senseless act of retaliation, of emotion that doesn't produce anything of any value. A God's vengeance lesson from our last podcast a couple of weeks ago on God's, uh, will God's vengeance squash us like bugs? God's vengeance will actually be a preserving action for humanity. Is our revenge a preserving action for humanity, or is it pure destruction so we feel better, or so we think we'll feel better? See, our revenge, Jonathan, doesn't fall into that same category as God's vengeance. It doesn't. Therefore, we shouldn't do it. Period. Okay? Period. Justice is about that, which is right. Let's go back to Romans. We're going back, we're going through, we, we, we touched on Romans 11. Now we're into Romans chapter 12. Now remember, the Apostle Paul is saying, he said, remember, you are utterly, totally blessed because you have an opportunity to run, at, to, to, to be a, a member of the body of Christ in your life where you wouldn't have had it if somebody else didn't mess up. You should be grateful and humble. And here's how Romans 12 Uh, verses 1 and 2 read as a result of that. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect." You have an incredible privilege. You need to present yourself as a a living sacrifice because the privilege is so far beyond what you're capable of. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You live in a different way now. Live the way that God has set you, live the way that, that, of the path that God has set you upon. That's what I'm trying to say. Verses, verse three. For through grace given to me, I saw, say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. Okay, he talks about complete, total humility here, keeping things in order in your mind so you can serve God, again, the way his grace is giving you an opportunity to serve him. And then verses 4 and 5. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function— So we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Again, another verse that talks about the littleness of me in relation to the bigness of the body of Christ, and how that humility is so important. Jonathan, if we live with great, great humility, revenge will not be nearly as much of a temptation. Oh, you're right, Rick. So our just and righteous approach to our privilege is to be sacrificial in intention— transformed in thought, sound in reasoning, and humble in participation. You apply these principles and there's no room for revenge. Just, it, just doesn't, it just doesn't fit anymore. 
and I was thinking of in the brotherhood of Christ, we wouldn't want to harm anyone that may have offended us because they're the Lord's. So if we have that godly perspective, like David, King David did not want to hurt King Saul because he was the Lord's anointed. So if we have that concept, that mentality, we will, we will squelch the, the emotion of being hurt. So, and that's such an important point, because really what that's saying is, okay, I've been given this privilege that I don't deserve, and the only reason I've got this privilege is because somebody else messed up. So I need to be really careful and cherish and honor the privilege. And those others who have the same privilege are in the same boat as I am. They don't deserve it either, but they are just as privileged as I am. I can't be getting revenge on God's chosen people. What is wrong with me? Because if I'm getting revenge on God's chosen one, am I trying to get revenge on God? Am I telling God, whoa, you know, you made a bad choice choosing that one. (laughs) I I mean, really, you got to think about it. And if you take it outside of your initial emotion and put it all in a perspective that helps you see the bigger picture, you're right. Everything does change. It's such an important point. And that will bring us to our, our, our revenge refocusing lesson for this particular segment. And that is just because we're deeply privileged. We are not given authority to have our thoughts of revenge become weapons of destruction. Instead, they must be tools of growth. Just because we have the privilege of serving God doesn't mean that what I think is necessarily godly. What I think has to be run through the filter of scriptural principle and godliness and Christ-like example. Once I run it through that filter... If it's still good according to all of those things, then yes, that's good. But revenge, revenge, my friend, simply does not fit into that category. It doesn't belong, it never has, and it never will. Rick, this is starting to make sense, but what about this? What do we do when revenge is being carried out against us or others and we can't stop it? Okay, good. There are easy questions where answers come quickly. Let's tackle this big question that isn't so easy. Okay, so what do we do when we see revenge carried out against us or others and it can't be stopped? Look, folks, when life happens, when circumstances and conflict and emotions are all in high gear, we must, at all costs, rely heavily upon the grace of God's providence and the assurance of his justice being carried out in his time. Not my time, not my way, in his time. So we do come up in situ- against situations like that, Jonathan, where um, you know the, the, the circumstances of our life can be such that you can't control something, you can't stop it, you can't do anything to, to, to circumvent it, so you've got to go through it. You know, And that kind of brings me to the second question that uh, was brought up um, in the chatter, or I'm not sure where it came from, but anyway, uh, saying you're a Christian uh, or, or godly, but taking revenge on okay, you shall not take the Lord's name in vain. Does that, if you take revenge out on others, are you taking the Lord's name in vain? And the answer is yes, you are. Because if you are representing God in your calling, then your actions are supposed to be representing God's will and God's way in what you do. So if you are acting in a vengeful sort of way, 
you are taking the name of God and the character of God and representing it in a, in a, in a vain-filled way. You, you bring reproach to God. And do we want to do that? Is no, the, not at all. Is the feeling of revenge worth bringing reproach upon God? Jonathan, let's go to our next example of revenge, and they seem to be getting worse as we go. Yes. Well, this one's even worse, okay? This one is even worse. This is a story of a long, long-held grudge. Carl V. Erickson. Carl V. Erickson was someone who held a grudge for over 50 years after he was the victim of a locker room prank involving a jockstrap. In 2012, Erickson tracked down one of the students involved in the prank, whose name was Norm Johnson, a well-liked student athlete. At the age of 73, he tracked down Norm, knocked on his door and asked, Are you Norm Johnson? before shooting him twice in the face. Erickson was sentenced to life in prison, but he got his revenge. Now, I, I, don't, I don't even know what to say after that. Uh, 50 years later, he carried the anger of that prank for 50 years. And then he murders the guy 50 years later. And Rick, now he's sitting in prison dwelling over what he did and... As we learned, in the mind, he's not feeling any better after doing it. Absolutely he's feeling not. actually worse. Right, right. And he's stuck in that mode because of the actions that he took. It's incredible to me how we can go down such a road. And again, folks, I want to remind you about CQ Rewind, the full edition. It's a free service available at ChristianQuestions.com or through your app. Uh, and if you don't have the Christian Questions app, what are you waiting for? Go get it. Get it check it out at your app store. Type in Christian Questions. Um, because Rewind will give you, Jonathan, will give you all of the, the, the things we're talking about. It'll give you the transcript of each of these little stories to help remind you how horrible it is to go down that road. But it's so easy to want to go down that road if somebody's done something to you or to your family. And it really, you just got to be so careful. And Rick, holding a grudge is pure weight on your life. Yeah. And why would we want that burden to carry along with us? Right. It's, it's like having an extra 40 pounds in a backpack. I mean, what yeah. do you, what, why don't you just put it down? <laughs> you know, I mean, just put it down. And, and again, that brings us to our next revenge issue for this particular segment. And what is it? Revenge is personally and passionately orchestrated and served. Okay. Personally and passionately orchestrated and served. Julius had mentioned Stephen, the, the first Christian martyr. Uh, he was an impeccable example of standing firmly upon God's grace and accepting the harshness of life while standing uh, as this example. Stephen was bold. He was being questioned harshly by, by the, uh, the Jews of authority of his time, so we're going to drop in on that questioning and his response. Acts chapter 7, verses 52 to 53. Here is Stephen speaking boldly to them about what they're standing for and how far off it is. Which one of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? They killed those who had previously announced the coming of the righteous one, whose betrayers and murderers you have now become. You who received the law as ordained by angels and yet did not keep it. So he's telling them exactly what they don't want to hear. He's putting 
responsibility squarely on their shoulders for their hypocrisy, and he's not backing down. He's being very, very bold here. Now, what's the reaction of the Pharisees when they hear this? Verses 54 through 56. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the quick, and they began gnashing their teeth at him. But being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. So now, I mean, it says they began gnashing their teeth at him. And that's such a strange phrase for us, you know, gnashing your teeth. I mean, what, what is it? How do you gnash your teeth? And, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a picture, it can be a picture of anguish or a picture of rage. It's, ah, you know, that kind of thing where your teeth are clenched and you're, you're making it. And, and so there's utter anger on their part. And, and then he is being, being given a vision by God. And he speaks out loud. Now, speaking out loud about this vision cost him his life. But he did it because he saw it. It was the right thing to do. He knew that he was in God's hands. He was afraid of nothing. So he sees this vision and uh, he says, I see the Son of Man, Jesus, standing at the right hand of God Almighty. And what's their reaction in verses 57 and 58? But they cried out with a loud voice and covered their ears and rushed at him with one impulse. When they had driven him out of the city, they began stoning him. And the witnesses laid aside their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And we know that that young man was Saul of Tarsus, who eventually became the Apostle Paul. But what do we have here, Jonathan? Rick, we have revenge, wrath, a mob mentality, rationalization of evil, all at work, all together. That's right. And, it, and what does it cause? Murder. Cold-blooded murder. That's what it brought. Verses 59 and 60. They went on stoning Stephen as he called on the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Having said this, he fell asleep. So Stephen meets his end here. But at the very end, he is not vengeful. He doesn't, he doesn't whisper to the Lord, strike him down with lightning, you know, like uh, James and John did earlier. Right. He simply says, Lord, they really don't understand what they're doing. They have, if, because if they really understood it, they obviously wouldn't be doing it. That's the heart that we should have, the heart of Stephen, not the heart of Saul of Tarsus, who was there egging them on, and encouraging this, this cold-blooded murder. Good point, Rick. This is Christian Questions, your weekly live podcast to help you think about the Bible like you never have before. Talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com or call us now at 866-985-4255. That's right. We, uh, we do love hearing from you, whether it be during our podcast or afterwards. Uh, start a conversation. It's, it's always good. So, Let's go back to Vanessa Van Edwards again, the psychology of revenge, because remember at the beginning she said, okay, the psychology is physiologically, when you're planning revenge, it feels good inside your brain. It registers very positively. Physiologically, once you execute revenge, it feels very bad in your brain, and it makes things much worse. Why is all of this important? Let's go to the next soundbite and find out. Why is this important for us? Revenge reopens and aggravates your emotional wounds. Even though you might be tempted to punish a wrong, you end up punishing yourself because you can't heal. So what do you do if you were wronged? 
What do you do if you feel an intense need for revenge? There is a healthy way to deal with these feelings that can help you heal and give your brain the same amount of rewards without the consequence. Are you ready for it? Yeah, but we're not going to tell you now. <laughs> you got to wait till Thanks next, a lot. Yeah, next segment. <laughs> next segment. So there is a healthy way to manage all of this, and, and that's really important, and that's something we've got to, to get to and, and, and be able to dwell on a little bit. Um, and there's a, there's a we, we like to use extra quotes dur- during the, the podcast. Josh Billings has a very short but very, very pointed quote that's building on a theme that we've been talking about through this whole podcast. There is no revenge so complete as forgiveness. And you got to realize that the ability to forgive is the ability to put revenge away. If we truly forgive, the anger and rage that goes with revenge can just drain away. And to be rid of that, Jonathan, is to be rid of that weight that you were talking about. That burden is gone. That it's, it's like walking around with an extra 40 pounds on your back for no good reason whatsoever. And it can go away if we allow ourselves to enter the realm of forgiveness. Let's go back to another one of the God's Vengeance lessons from, you know, Will God's Vengeance Squash Us Like Bugs podcast from a couple of weeks ago. The end of the world as we know it will, in fact, mark the beginning of the world as we dreamed it. <laughs> All right. And Rick, that's God's kingdom on earth. That's right. And, and that's God's vengeance. Is our vengeance bringing the world a better world to everybody? I don't think so. Ever. Never. Never does it. See, justice, God's vengeance is founded in justice. Justice is orchestrated and served through legal channels, not emotional, vengeful channels. Let's continue with Romans chapter 12. Uh, we're in uh, verses uh, 6 through 8 right now. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly, if prophecy according to the proportion of his faith, if service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. So all of that is about gifts. And Jonathan, when you get a gift, it's a gift. It's not like you you got something that you deserved. It's a gift. And the beauty of it is, again, the Apostle Paul is saying, you're given the opportunity to rise up to this heavenly call because others messed up and God's grace was open for you. Be grateful, be thankful, be humble, and receive the gifts that come along with this. And you notice, being vengeful is not one of those gifts, is it? (laughs) No, it's not. (laughs) All right. It has no place in a Christian's life, period. Verses 9 through 12. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer. Okay, so it's about love, this section. Let love be without hypocrisy. You know, you've got to just stand in love. We've got these gifts. We have this opportunity that is beyond us. And all of these things add up to keeping us so busy. There's no time for vengeance. And now verses 13 through 16 are going to add just one more thing to be thinking about so vengeance doesn't enter into our minds. 
contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. So there is a contribution with humility theme in those last few verses. So when you put it together, you're given gifts that are above and beyond you. We're given the ability to love like Jesus loved, and that means to abhor that which is evil and to cling that to that which is good. Uh, and then we're given the ability to contribute in humility. You have, you have So much to work towards, though. Isn't that great? Well, and that's the point. Vengeance, revenge, is something that people work towards. It's not healthy. It may feel good in the planning stages, but it's going to blow up on you. Promise. It is, because that's the way the brain works. So why not work towards something that is going to take a lot of effort, take a lot of energy, but give something great to us in, 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 in our lives instead? There will be no time and no desire for revenge if we start to hang on to these things. So we get down to uh, our next revenge refocusing lesson, and that is this. When tempted by foolish and festering thoughts of revenge, and they really are foolish and festering thoughts, our minds should revert back to the firm foundation of God's plan for us and the privileged role that we are positioned to play in supporting the brotherhood through humility. And, and, you know, Jonathan, in, in life, and I know this has happened to you because I've known you for, for many, 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 many years. Certain things seem to just, at, at different periods of your life, they seem to reverberate and they come back on you again and again. You know, you get this, this message from, from the Lord through scriptures that is, is, is pounding something into your head. Absolutely. Yep. Well, for me, one of those lessons that just doesn't go away recently is how little we are in relation to the bigness of the body of Christ, and how each of us is significant in the eyes of God, but we are essentially very little. And it doesn't matter if, if you're the one who gets to be behind the microphone, or you're the one who does the work in the background, or you're the one who simply prays. What matters is we're all small, and we take all of those small little efforts and we put them together, and God blesses it, well, then you have something. And if we can look at our lives through those eyes of being small in the sight of God, small but significant, the idea and the thought and the process of revenge actually becomes very repulsive. Because you look at it and say, why would I go down that road? And, you know, the point you brought out earlier about, you know, especially if we want to get revenge against one of the Lord's chosen people, like, what am I doing? How could I, how, why would I want to do that? Now, they did something wrong to me. Okay, I get it. Here's an idea. Go talk to them. Here's an idea. Go get face-to-face and say, hey, I've got something that's really bothering me, and I need to tell you about it because it really hurt me. And see what happens. Because with that humility, we can begin to build something great. Revenge? It takes things away. It takes things away. You know that game you play where you build that little the tower, then you pull the sticks out here and there? Oh, yeah. And yep. that's what revenge is. Revenge is you've got this tower, and you're just pulling these things out, and you're planning. And at some point, it's all going to crumble. 
<laughs> you know, the end of that game is you always lose, right? You know that. Yep. Yes. Because the thing always. comes tumbling down. That's what revenge is. Revenge is an absolute lose-lose situation. There is no way to avoid the feeling of loss with revenge. Rick, from a godly and principled approach, what about times when someone truly deserves severe consequences? Can we now have revenge? Tradition is special until it's meant to be shaken up. It's time to see if we stay on track with it or not. See, that's such a good question because this is where temptation for revenge is truly deepest. Uh, for consequences are obviously appropriate and the hurt is perpetuated. That is perpetuated. is elastic. Somebody does something, they've caused great pain and they deserve something back. But it's here that we always have to turn to the simplicity of our own theme scripture of never pay back evil for evil and let God's justice come to fruition. And that can be a hard thing to do, a hard thing to say, a hard thing to deal with, but we've got to go down that road. And we're going to get into a very dramatic example of that, Jonathan, in just a moment. Let's go to our final example of the greatest acts of revenge on people ever from the richest.com. And uh, this, again, is another very unique example of revenge. Nakam. Also known as the Jewish Avengers, Nakam was a group consisting of Abba Kovner and members of the United Pakistan Organization, which was a Zionist paramilitary liberation group who operated in Lithuania under Soviet orders. They were disgusted and devastated over the loss of six million Jewish lives during the Holocaust. So they sent 3,000 loaves of arsenic-laced bread to former SS guards at an American POW camp. 1,600 people ate the bread and 400 died. Nakam even tried to poison the water supply for some of the largest cities in Germany in order to kill 6 million people to atone for the Jewish lives lost. So you think about that, Jonathan, and okay, there were 6 million lives lost, and you can't even quantify the tragedy of that, of being targeted like that and all of the horror. It's awful. It is. Horrible. But does the... Does that tragedy warrant going and doing the same thing to others? Does it warrant no. trying to, to, to poison the water source so you can kill 6 million uh, Germans? So, so what? So, so what happens in, in, in that circumstance? All you have is death and destruction. And, and, but, you know, I, can, I get why you feel like they should pay. I understand. It's understandable but it is not acceptable in the sight of God. And if it's not acceptable in the sight of God, it should not be acceptable in the sight of Jonathan or Rick or anyone who's listening here. We should be better and than that. Ve- vengeance is God's, and he'll do it through justice, not through emotion, not through evil, and let him handle it because he knows the best way to do it. He does. He does. And we're going to be getting to that very scripture uh, toward the end of this segment. So uh, hang on for that. So now our last point on revenge is revenge is about punishing those who hurt your family. And we're going to go through an, ex- uh, an experience, a scriptural experience here in Genesis, which is a very personal and very harsh, very harsh experience. And not an experience you'd wish on anybody. But let's see what happens. It's uh, Genesis chapter 34 and uh, see what the revenge actually brought. Now Dinah, the daughter of Leah, 
whom she had borne to Jacob, went out to visit the daughters of the land. When Shechem, the son of Hamor, not a Jew, the prince of the land, saw her, he took her and lay with her by force. He was deeply attracted to Dinah, the daughter of Jacob, and he loved the girl and spoke tenderly to her. So Shechem spoke to his father Hamor, saying, Get me this young girl for a wife. Okay, so let's put this in perspective. Let's be blunt. He rapes her, but he loves her. Now look, I don't care who you are. I don't care what time you live in. Those two don't just don't go together, okay? They do not. Okay, but, you know, he's saying, okay, I want this girl to be my wife. Now, what happens next? Now Jacob heard that he had defiled Dinah, his daughter. Then Hamar, the father of Shechem, went out to Jacob to speak with him. Now the sons of Jacob were grieved. They were very angry because he had done a disgraceful thing in Israel by lying with Jacob's daughter, for such a thing ought not to have been done. Okay, so Jacob's sons are really, really angry, and rightfully so. They should have been angry. You'd have been angry. Oh, yeah. Okay. I've been in this situation. I was angry. I admit it. You want to you wanna throttle somebody. There's no question about that. But so so let, let's put together the pieces of all of this. So what do we have? You have infatuation by this guy, Shechem, who is not a Jew. You have a rape of a daughter of Jacob, a desire to marry her, and a conference between the fathers and, and, and then about this, you know, trying to, 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 to salvage something or other out of this whole debacle. And then you have the, the sons of Jacob entering what we call the vengeance zone. Yeah. Not a good place time. to be. Not a good place to be. So what happens next? We've got to skip several scriptures because we wouldn't have time to go through them all. Is a premeditated act of revenge. The uh, Dinah, her brothers, suggest to Jacob, their father, that forgiveness could be levied if there's an alliance granted between the people of Hamor and the people of Jacob, and that all the males of the tribe of Hamor be circumcised, okay, to show, you know, their contriteness for this, this, this event. So it happens. So they all agree and do that. You say, okay, that's a, and you know, for us, you say, who would think of such a thing in terms of creating some kind of a, you know, a, a, an allegiance one to another? But circumcision was a very, very uh, sacred symbol for the Jewish people, especially back then. So what happens after that? The, all of the males of the tribe, the, the grown men, are, are, are circumcised. And sorry to get graphic with this, folks, but this is a story, and here is where the revenge comes in. Genesis 34, verses 20, verse 25. Now it came about on the third day, when they were in pain, that two of Jacob's sons, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brothers, each took his sword and came upon the city unawares and killed every male. So all of the men are in pain, and so they take advantage of that. So they set them up to put them at a disadvantage so they can murder them all. Guess wow. we, we showed you, huh? Unbelievable. Well, and, and Jonathan, again, their sister had been assaulted and was raped. So you say, yeah, I get the idea of wanting vengeance. And, and you know, my, one of my daughters was raped at, at 15 years old. I know yes. what that feels like. I've been there. I've had that anger welling up inside and had to fight it back tooth and nail to not go down a road 
that was not appropriate for a godly, somebody professing godliness. But I can't tell you that I didn't want to go down that road. And it's a hard, hard thing to be able to walk away from. And Jacob was so mad yeah. at his sons for do, following through in this evil way. And so what happens is, you, you think about it, the thinking and the planning and the executing stages of the revenge may be thrilling. Here's what we're going to do. Listen to this plan. Uh, and, you know, and, and I can imagine the brothers getting together saying, oh, this is going to be where, oh, this is going to be so sweet. And we're going to set them up and they're not going to be able to fight back. And we're just going to take them all out. And all it brought was more death and more destruction and more mayhem. And this, these are God's people. And, you, you know, we can't be going down those roads. The result is always darkness. So how do we avoid that? How do we get out of that pattern into a better pattern? Remember, Vanessa Van Edwards, our last soundbite from her on the psychology of revenge, said, okay, there's a great way to get revenge to work for you. Are you ready for it? Well, now... We're ready for it. So let's uh, drop in and see what she says. This one comes from the amazing, prolific Frank Sinatra. In his words, the best revenge is massive success. The next time you feel the dark tendrils of revenge creeping into your soul, I want you to take that intensity and put it towards succeeding. Put it towards your goals. Put it towards hustling to get what you want. Get the reward center of your brain pumping by thinking about how sweet it will feel when you meet your goals. This shifts the focus onto you and your mission and makes the other perpetrator irrelevant. So I, I want to reword that a little bit because here certainly we are uh, in a position of um, you know, wanting to be able to put things in, in, in a better perspective uh, so that we can spiritually seek your spiritual goals seek to be more christ-like that's our goal in life that's what we should be looking for that's what we should be running towards every moment of every day because that's the most important thing so rather than seeking revenge seek that humility of being a small part of the body of christ instead excel in your christian integrity okay <laughs> there it Stri is strive further uh, what was it last week's program? There was that three-line phrase uh, that ex and ex excel still more. Excel still more. Right. I love that, and, and that's been in the back of my mind since last week's podcast. Excel still more. It's not doing it ourselves, but through Christ, excel still more to serve and please the Lord. Exactly. Focus on the important things, not the pressing things that are in our heads, like revenge. Revenge is pressing. And again, I've been there. I understand it. it's pressing. But rather than the pressing things, look toward the important things because they will overpower the pressing things if you give them chance to, to do so. Another quote, Jonathan, from Ralph Steadman. Evil is always devising more corrosive misery through men's restless need to exact revenge out of his hate. Okay, more corrosive misery. That's the bottom line. If you want corrosion and misery in your life, sign up and be vengeful because that's all you're going to end up getting. So uh, God's vengeance lesson again. God's vengeance is so different than our revenge. What's our final God's vengeance lesson uh, for today? Once God's vengeance accomplishes its specific mission, it becomes obvious that his vengeance is proof of his pure and righteous love for his human creation. Is our revenge ever 
ever proof of pure and righteous love for the person we're taking that revenge out on? Nope. Never. So that means we should never, ever, ever go down that road. See, justice is about lawfully trying to convict the guilty, and you leave it to the matter of justice. So we're going to finish up with Romans chapter 12, verses 6 through 16 here. Um, or and we're on verses 17 through, actually 17 through 21, sorry. Uh, Paul continues to weave a powerful anti-revenge message now into this powerful message of privilege that we've been going back to again and again and again. So again, we're at Romans chapter 12, verses 17 through 21. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Okay, a lot in that verse, or those verses, never pay back evil for evil to anyone. You've got to respect what is right. Not respect what is convenient, not respect what you feel, but respect what is right. Leave room for the wrath of God. Because you can't take it out of his hands. And you, you, you mentioned that earlier in this segment. Vengeance is God's. He will repay. All evil is going to have to be accounted for. All of it. So let it be. And, and Jonathan, you know, in, in my experience, and folks, we actually did a, a, um, a, a broadcast about the experience with our daughter uh, back in 2014. You might want to just, uh, we'll drop it into the uh, Seeker Rewind full edition notes so you can reference it. Uh, because it's an important story to supplement all of this. And during that, what you'll find is the situation with my daughter, the guy got away. The guy literally fled the country and there was never any justice. And you got to say, okay, that's got to hurt. Well, yeah, it did. Until my daughter got to a certain point of being able to manage and deal with that and learning how to forgive. And that is such a powerful part of getting over the feeling of wanting revenge. So folks, we'd encourage you to, to, to listen to that because it will help you, especially if you feel vengeful. Been there, by God's grace, didn't do it. Be, and you know, Jonathan, we are so blessed because we didn't go down that road. In this verse no. though, you know, it, say, it, it says something really weird. You know, your enemy, enemy is hungry, feed him. Okay, get that. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. Okay, I get that. But, uh, you know, in so doing, you're going to heap burning coals of fire on his head. What? What does that mean? That is such an odd phrase. So let, we looked at a lot of different commentaries on this. This one seems to make the most sense. Uh, Kenneth Samuel um, Wust uh, gives us uh, some thoughts on this. In Bible times... An oriental need to keep his hearth fire going all the time in order to ensure a fire for cooking and warmth. If it went out, he had to go to a neighbor for some live coals of fire. These he would carry on his head in a container, oriental fashion, back to his home. The person who gave him some live coals would be meeting his desperate need and showing him an outstanding kindness. If he would heap the container with coals, the man would be sure of getting some homes still burning. So the idea of heaping coals of fire on someone's head isn't so you burn a hole through their skull. It's so that they can have a fire to keep warm by when they get home. 
So it's a good thing. <laughs> it is. It's a good thing. And that's the point of this. And the context brings us to, yes, this is a good thing to do, not a bad thing to do. And so we want to do that. How if we can learn to heap coals of fire to give goodness to those who would give us evil. That's what Jesus did. That's what we're supposed to do. It can change the way at least we see things. So our final revenge refocusing lesson is really simple. Even our most hurtful and traumatic life experiences never warrant revenge. What they do warrant is God's justice done in his way and in his time. And folks, if you don't remember anything else, remember that. It really comes down to putting it into the hands of God and his justice rather than leaving things in our own hands. And Jonathan, again, this is a hard subject, isn't it? It is, but God's got this. You're right. He does, if we let him. You understand that God's got it, but we, he gives us the ability to take it right out of his hands. Ooh, good point. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, when we do that, it's never good. The end result is never pleasant. It's never upbuilding. It might feel good, but just because something feels good doesn't mean it is good for us or for anybody else for that matter. So we have to really understand that the whole point of this is to leave it in God's hands because that's where vengeance belongs, because his vengeance brings goodness. Our vengeance brings destruction. You choose. Do you want to destroy or do you want to build up? That's how you handle revenge. Ask that question, get the right answer, and do those things which are going to be upbuilding for you and those around you. For Jonathan, Rick, and Christian Questions, we'll be back again next week with another subject. But until then, revenge is not sweet. God's vengeance is. Think about it. And folks, we love hearing from you, our listeners. Let us know what you thought about today's topic. Suggest future topics. Start a conversation with us at ChristianQuestions.com and make sure to download our app. Search Christian Questions in your app store. And again, we look forward to bringing you another podcast next week. <laughs>